You know, I want to just this morning talk a little bit about our church. I'm not going to do so much teaching, but just make some comments. I know that in these 23 years, new people have come. And so, uh, and then I, I believe the Lord is going to touch you in a special way. Then I'm going to turn it to Pastor Nathan to lead us into the Lord's table here before we go home. So, but a lot has happened. We could go home right now. Just seeing all those flags there, it, uh, I just say, thank God for what God has done. We, we give him praise. Why don't we lift our hand and thank God for a moment. Father, I thank you that you will help me to speak. Lord, you always help with the Holy Spirit. And I need your help and I thank you for it. And I thank you that faith and joy will come to our hearts and be strengthened today because of your word. We thank you, Father, that burdens are lifted, that your love is revealed. And we just are deeply grateful to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so uh, we're glad here in the TICC that Jesus is building his church. Let me read a little scripture verse here. It says about Paul and his team, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word. Imagine that, the Holy Spirit forbidding you to preach the word. After they had come to Mesia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mesia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Remember, Macedonia was our first flag, I think, today here. And now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Interesting here, the believer's modus operandi is uh, to keep going unless the Holy Spirit says no. Uh, so we're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to say yes, but sometimes God has something different and more important for the moment, but we can always keep going. We never have to sit still and wait for some great impression. And Paul here, he is going, he's trying here and there, and the Spirit is kind of stopping him because there's another task. And we also learn in this little passage that there, is, that there is something called a good idea and there's something called a God idea. You know, they were doing good things here. They were going to Bithynia and Mesia and all these places, whatever, we don't even know. Uh, maybe you have no idea where they were, but they were there in the Middle East and uh, they were doing good things. But then God had something specific. And you know, as believers, we can do good things. We can have church, we can have youth meetings and children's programs and pray and evangelize and do many good things. But God has a specific vision. And I want you to know that this church that you're a part of this morning it was birthed out of a vision. And here's something interesting that I will never fully understand, that when God wants to give a vision to a people, he speaks to a person. And that person has to articulate that vision. Notice what it said here. He saw the vision. We concluded that God had called us. He saw the vision. We concluded that God had called us. We could have understood that to say, well, he saw the vision. So we concluded that God had called him. Oh, that's your vision. So you saw the vision. You better go to Macedonia. But he saw the vision. And we all concluded on the basis of what he saw, that God had called us. Everybody say us. And this is how a vision comes. I don't know. I can't explain it. Uh, but but a, a vision changes your life. 
Love fills your heart. And after love has germinated for a while, faith comes. And with that comes determination. With that comes this inner drive. You know, a vision governs your life. Because basically, it, it, saying yes to God's vision means saying no to other things. You can't do everything. So, so uh, you know, if, you, if Paul says like this, God has given on a vision, vision to go to Macedonia, but you're heading somewhere else to Australia. Well, you can go to Australia, but you're not going with the vision that God gave because you can't do everything. Uh, you can't go in every direction. You know, uh, Jesus, he didn't have a specific vision. He said when he was ministering at that for those three years, he's ministering to the nation of Israel. But then he would go worldwide. And, and, and so uh, a vision governs your life. I think of myself here because uh, God has given us together here a vision uh, for this beautiful church family. It governs our life. I, I'll admit to you, Sometimes when it's like 20 minus degrees in the winter, I say to Tina, did God really call us to be in Toronto? Surely, because we have, you know, I, I live an international life. I'm at home. That's why, you know, I see all these flags and I'm, I have flashes in my mouth. Oh, I remember I was there. I was there. I remember all these things. So, so for us, I could live in Africa. It would be no problem for me. I'd have to, maybe time, I, I think not much problem either. It's sometimes I say, oh, I'm in a nice place here in Africa. Well, let's move here, baby. And, and, then, and then we're, no, no, God called us to Toronto. Sometimes we go to, you know, somewhere in British Columbia, we're preaching there, we say, oh, we love it. All those wineries and mountains and lakes. And I say, well, oh yeah, God called us. So, so a vision kind of governs you. It, it limits your options. And, 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 and I say, well, God called us to have a church in Canada. We are a part of it. Yeah, I've handed over the leadership now many years ago. It's uh, coming up to nine years, I think, that Pastor Nathan became the, the lead pastor here. And, uh, but, but, you know, we, we're a part. We're in this together. We don't think like some churches that once the founder leaves, then, you know, he has to go far away because he doesn't want to harass the next guy in line. And I kind of thought like that. But then finally, Nathan convinced me, Peter, you're not harassing me. I said, oh, no, no I think I'm going to leave. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to come down. I, I don't want to be in your way. You're the new guy. And, no, and he finally he said, we sat down face to face, and he actually convinced me. Peter, I want you here. So I said, well, I want to be there too because uh, I love the people. So that's how we are. And sometimes people ask me, pastors come and visit, and say, how can the two of you get along so well? They say, can you come to our church and give a teaching how, how you two, Nathan, and you get along? I said, well, I don't know. I guess, uh, you know, we, we just, we are not, we're just happy. I don't know. I don't know how to teach it. I just believe that God has brought people together. And I'm thankful for that. And so uh, when the vision comes, it governs your life. It, it, it sets you on a path. And uh, we're glad for that. Thank God. Uh, and so I want to share some of the distinctives of our church today. Many things. But I want to say this church, we started with a word from God. By the years 1998, 1999, you know, people were telling me, oh, you should do this. You should do this. 
And you know, I would find myself praying, worshiping, and all I could think about was Toronto. I said, remove that thought from me. And it got stronger and stronger till I felt like we, we have to go. And we came here. This, is, this church wasn't started because there was a group in a church that were disgruntled and we want to leave that church and we don't like the new pastor there. And we don't like what this way, the way they do. We, we, had, we had nobody. We just had people that had contacted us. We came here. There was not a bunch of people who were unhappy with something else. And, and I spoke the vision, what God had put in our heart. And I'm so glad that we started with a word from God. I'm so glad for that. You know, I had heard, and I want to say this as a challenge, I had heard the great revivalist of the past century, uh, Dwight Lyman Moody from Chicago, who was a great American revivalist. He used to say that the world has not yet seen what God can do through one man totally dedicated to him. Now, that was a little bit maybe male chauvinistic, what God could do through one man. And we could say what God could do through a woman. But I remember, and I want to give this as a challenge to you today, I would say Canada has not yet seen what God can do through a local church. I said a local church that's dedicated to him because that's what this vision is about. You know, may, if I go back to that, to that time, you know, people were always thinking of the church as the universal church, and that's true. Uh, the word church is mentioned over a hundred times in the Bible, but you know, 90% of those times it's speaking of a local church, a local group of people who have come together. And sometimes, let's be honest about it, you know, people say, oh, I want to go far away. There's revival somewhere over there, halfway around the world, or I want to go to a conference, and I want to go, oh, I went to this conference. You know, local church is not a conference. See, at a conference, everybody pays $99 to attend, and they come there, and they're all spiritually jazzed up before they get there, and it's so beautiful, and you hold hands and sing. But see, a local church, it's the same people and growing and more people being added, and there are people, some who paid nothing, some who give, some who don't give, some who maybe, he said, I don't like, I don't want to sit beside that person. I don't want to sit beside, I want to go back to my conference. A conference is a bubble. A local church, that's real life. That's people from all over coming together. You see them at their best. You see them at their worst. You know, people around the world think that I'm perfect, some of them. I mean, honestly, I go and preach in these campaigns, and they see people getting healed and people coming out of wheelchairs like we saw last week, and, and, and we don't know how many people were healed of stroke. And, and, and uh, in fact, I, I, I Google stroke because we have so many people healed of stroke that have been paralyzed. I said, what is this? And I found out that stroke is the second uh, biggest killer, according to the World Health Organization. And so I began to rejoice. Well, thank God people are being healed of stroke. I mean, we had so many things happen. So people tend to think, oh, that Peter Youngren, he, he, he's something else. But, you know, you know that I'm just a regular guy. You see me on the days when I have a sore throat, a little bit like today, and you see me on the days when I don't, and that's good. That's a local church. That's a local church. And so, and also people think, oh, I go to so-and-so's church. If you want to bug me, I hope you don't want to bug me, then you say, I go to Peter Youngren's church. My friend, that's too small. Or you say, I go to Nathan Thurber's church. Oh, that's too small. 
No, this is not a church about one person's ministry. This is a church of the people. It's the people who are worshiping Jesus Christ. We are a people. We are not a group supporting one ministry or one person or a few persons. No, we are the church of Jesus Christ raised up by God. We are not spectators. We are co-laborers, co-laborers. That's what we are. And, and, and we believe God for every one of you uh, to step into that. Let me say something else, and this is so clear this morning. We who were not a people have become a people. I mean, look at the flags here. We were not a people. We had different culture, different taste in food. Some of you like it really hot and spicy. Some of you are more bland. Uh, we, had, we have different ethnicities, different nationalities. But we who were not a people, we are a people. And let me say, I understand that there are uh, churches who are nationalistic, and I believe God blesses them. I'm not criticizing. I say that's maybe a good idea, and it could be like that. You come from a certain part of the world, and wouldn't it be natural after a week of out there battling all the things, you can on Sunday go to a place where everybody is just like you. They have the same skin color. They like the same food. They dress like you. They use the same perfume you use. They, 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 they just are just like you. I mean, there will be a certain comfort in that. I understand that. I think that could be a good idea, but we have something more than a good idea. We have a God idea. And God, we're more like the church in Rome where they had all people from all over the world who were in the Roman Empire and they had Jewish people and they had secular people and they had problems. So you were about to say hallelujah and then I said problems and I stopped you dead in your track there because when you have people, you know, but this is God's idea. This is God's idea that here we can come, whoever we are, and then maybe we go home and some of you go and have a food of this kind and some of you eat this kind. And we don't have to eat all the same food, but we know there's something greater than our culture and our food and our style of music. It is that we who were not a people, we have become a people. I love you, church. I love this. This blesses me. I say, where did these 60 nations come from? I don't know. We just came here and shared a vision and people said, Yes, I'm coming. I'm going to sit with people who are not from my nationality. I see it. We are brothers and sisters because we have the same father and we have the same elder brother, Jesus Christ. Oh, praise God. And then here's something else that Christ is the foundation. So many of you who made comments, made comments on that. Speaking of God's grace, speaking of Christ being the center point. I think of Ephesians 3 where Paul says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. You know, that's what Paul said about himself. I, I'm less. I say to people, you know, I, I was teaching 1,700 leaders, apart from our festival, I was teaching 1,700 leaders last week. And they say, you know, uh, give us the key. And I said, you know, the greatest mystery to me is why God would work through me. I don't take any credit for it. I don't understand that. But he says, to me who am less, the grace was given that I should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to make all see. That's what we do. We're not trying to do anything but open people's eyes to see. 
because once people's eyes are open, they will turn to God. We can't turn people to God. We can't just say to people, you gotta get saved. You gotta get born again. You better. No, we can just open their eyes to see how great and beautiful our God is as revealed through Jesus Christ. We open their eyes. And then if you want to clap, go ahead because I'm still in the middle of the verse. To see what? What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. What is this mystery? Strange wording, almost like coded wording. Let me decode it. The fellowship of the mystery. What's the mystery? Well, Paul tells us the mystery that was hidden, that nobody saw. Abraham didn't see it. Moses didn't see it. Is Christ in you. That's the mystery. And now he says the fellowship of this mystery, this, this hanging out with Christ nonstop, that Christ is in you. He said that is what we are making known, that, the, that this new life is not adhering to a religion. It is living a life where you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And then he says to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the church, by the church, through the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. You know, it's known in the spirit world that we are here. And we are declaring the manifold wisdom of God that Christ in you will help you in every area, in relationship, in overcoming temptation, in your business, in everything you set your hand to do. It's not a mere theory. It's the reality of life. And it says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is that eternal purpose? That before you were born, Ephesians 1 says, before you were born, God had purposed to present you holy and blameless before him in love because of Jesus Christ. So before you did any dumb thing, and don't lift your hand for any dumb things, but if you did any dumb things, before you did anything dumb, God had purposed to present you holy and blameless before him in love. Oh, come on, that's beautiful. You, you, you see, what, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ is at the center of God's dealing with humanity. Jesus Christ, not, not Toronto Celebration Church, not any religion. Jesus Christ is at the center of God's dealing with humanity. That's why we preach Him. Somebody was mentioning here, or several of you mentioned, how we were proclaiming Jesus Christ because He is at the center. See, every religion has their center. They have their center or their centers. And everything is focused on those centers. Our Muslim friends, it's Mecca in Saudi Arabia. Uh, for, for our Jewish friends, it is um, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Our Buddhist friends have holy places. Our Hindu friends, maybe it's the River Ganges and, and dipping in that river. Uh, and, 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 and then there are other kind of places that are holy. And for many Christians, you know, it, it's the church building. Maybe some people, oh, I want to go and see St. Peter's Basilica. Oh, it's so awesome. I see all that art and, and all that. And, and it is awesome. I've been to some of these centers of Buddhism, of Hinduism. I've been there. Taina has been there with me. And when we understand people are awed by buildings. But that's not what we are awed by. We're saying Jesus Christ is at the center of God's dealing with humanity. And Jesus showed this. You see, to the Jewish people, uh, th their land, Israel, was holy. Holy. But in Israel, 
One place was holier than the others, Jerusalem. That was holier than the other places. But in Jerusalem, not every street was equally holy. The temple, that was the holiest place. But even in the temple, you had different levels of holy. You had the holy place and then the holy of holies. So what Jesus did is this. He said in John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I mean, Jesus is scandalous. He is outraging the religious elite here. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. See, if you were a Jewish person, if you needed forgiveness of sin, you had to go to the temple. You had to go there and, and, and wait till the sacrifice was made. But Jesus is saying, that's not the center of attention anymore. My body, something is happening in my body. And he carried our, own, our sins in his own body. And by his stripes, the stripes on his body, we were healed. Something happened in his body. And that's the center of what God is doing on the earth today. It's not a holy place. And that's why we, you know, the, right now, this building here, it's holy right now. You know why it's holy? Because we're here. But when you go home, this is not a holy building anymore. Maybe there's a little mouse running here somewhere when the winter comes, I don't know. Uh, but it's not holy. This is not a holy building. This is not holy ground, any holier than, than Lawrence or, 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 or Eglinton or, or, or Markham or whatever. Uh, but, but as long as you're here, look around and say, this is holy place right now because we are here. But when you leave, uh, it's not holy anymore. The building isn't holy. No, no, no. It's because we are here. As Jesus said, you know, he, he said like this. Let me see. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. So it's holy right now because we're gathered here in his name. But otherwise, other than that, this is just a building. Oh, some of you look strange right now. That's why, you know, we, 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 and Jesus shows us. I mean, Jesus, when he does this little uh, teaching nugget, I mean, he, Jesus is outrageous. He goes into the temple. He goes into the temple. And you know what they're doing there? They are peddling forgiveness from sin. They're selling forgiveness for sin. And they have special temple coins. So you had to take the regular coins, regular money, and you buy a temple coin. I would imagine the exchange rate was bad. Can you imagine? Because you couldn't buy the sacrifice with regular coins. You had to use your regular coins to get, give that to the people in the temple to get the temple coin, and then you couldn't go get a dove. And, and the Bible says about Jesus, he went in and he kicked the table with the doves. I, I, I get so amused thinking about that because I could see all the doves flying up in the ceiling and out the windows. It's like the forgiveness of sin just goes out the window. You can't even get forgiveness from sin because all the doves that you needed to buy from the priest, they're flying up in the ceiling. So Jesus at least temporarily shut down the whole religion business. Isn't that amusing? And then he says, he said, you're a bunch of thieves in here. He, Sam Jesus has said that religion is a thief that comes to kill and to steal and destroy. He said, this is a den of thieves. And then he said, then he went to the doorway. He says, all you who are blind and lame and sick come into the temple. See, they weren't allowed in because they were deficient, and Jesus has a healing service right in the temple. Now, now, can you see how that is Jesus saying, it's not your holy building? So, you know, with TICC, 
with this church. This church is you. If you are out in the shopping center, then our church is there. If you are out in the hospital, our church is there. It's not Pastor Nathan. So, well, if he comes, it's more official. No, actually, it's not. You may think it's more official if he came with a suit and tie. Uh, you know, he looks like a Bible under the arm. So that's official. Now, Toronto Celebration Church is on location. Well, it may look like that, but actually, it's just as good as you are there because you have Jesus Christ living in you. Hallelujah. And so that, that's, that's what we stand for. You, you know, another thing here, we don't shame people. We point people to a loving Savior. You know, so much about religion is shaming people. Have you noticed people shame? I, I noticed on some social media it says, if you are really my friend, copy this and send it to five people. It's, it's like you, you're shaming someone. Say like, if, unless you do that and tell me, then you're not a real friend. And you know, religion is like that. It shames people. You know, makes you well. I remember one, one man said to me, I pray 10 hours every day. How much do you pray? None of your business. You know, oh, I've been married for 50 years. We never had one crossword. People talk like that. Oh, our children are all 100% just worshiping God all the time. You know, most preachers who talk like that, number one, they're liars. That's number one. If you get to know them, you know that they're lying. And they're shaming you to make you feel bad. Oh, I never miss it. I always do this. I always do. We don't shame people. How crazy is that? Religion shames people. Somebody actually told me about a certain church they go to. says, the pastor, he's able to make me ashamed every Sunday morning. It's like he's squeezing a little shame out of every verse to just make me feel a little bit like I'm not good enough. And you see, because whoever comes to Jesus shall never be ashamed. So we don't shame you here. I said to you, I feel like I'm the least of all the saints. You know, we are all saints. I mean that. I, 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 we don't feel. We don't feel like we're perfect. I'm not here because I'm perfect. No, I'm here by the grace of God. Thank God that God has lifted me up and he's lifted you up. So we don't shame others. How crazy is that, by the way? No parent would do that. Would our Heavenly Father shame us into good behavior? You know, I was thinking about, you know, when, when, when parents teach their kids to ride a bicycle. Now, for me, back in those days, we had no trainer wheels. You know, that was not a part of it. Uh, but, but, you know, most parents, uh, they, they say, come on, go, go. I remember when, when Nathan was training Leo, uh, came to our house, and he was like, that. come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And then if Leo stopped and he says, no, I don't want to do it, he says, oh, you unworthy, I shame you. You'll never ride a bicycle. No, he helped him, and it didn't take many seconds, and Leo was going down the road. And now me, I'm, my personality was different. My parents didn't have to encourage me. I just took my brand new blue bike and I went up to the top of the hill and I said, I'm going to go as fast as I can down. That's my personality anyhow. See, see, you have to, but you see, just because you have that personality, you can get into bigger trouble. So I still remember it. I climbed up. I was feeling so proud. I'm going to show. They said, well, we can help you. We can hold you. I said, no, I don't need anybody to hold me. I'm going down. You know, I'm going down here. And it was a gravel road and I hit a pothole and 
And about five seconds later, I had a big gash in my forehead. And they took me to the, I remember standing in the washroom and it's bleeding. And they say, we're trying to stop the bleeding. I said, what about my bike? And they said, oh, oh, you, you. And, but they still encouraged me. They still encouraged me. They said, ah, you, you, you'll never ride a bike. I was like, no, no, you, you, we'll, we'll, we'll just stop the bleeding and, and, and we'll, we'll get you out there again. That's how the Heavenly Father is. So if you're a little hesitant or you're a little bit of a daredevil like I was, you know, God is not saying, ah, that's, that's the end of it. Shame on you. You failed. No, if the righteous fall seven times, God will raise him up. And so God is like that. He says, oh, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, you can do it. You, can, you say, oh, I, I did something stupid. I lost my temper. I did this. I, I, I. God says, oh, you can do it. You can do it. Christ is in you. You are the righteousness of God. Come on. You, you can make it. Come on now. That's, that's our heavenly father. What's this church about? It's about others. Because we realize you pray for your friends and God heals you. You care about others and you're, it's almost like your needs are met by default. And, and Jesus said to Paul, you're going to bear my name before all people, even before kings, even before the Jewish people. That's what we do. We bear the name of Jesus. I know you do that. I get to do that. You know, uh, wherever we go, we are winners, not whiners. You know, there's so much whining. Sometimes I don't want to hang around Christians. They whine. So, oh, it's so hard. We are under attack. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, serving. Oh, it's so, it's been like this for years. I, I remember when I started in ministry, one, one dear friend of mine, a pastor, he would, we would literally stand because you'd walk on the stage in that church. It was a beautiful building. We'd stand behind the door and he says, oh, Peter, it's hard. It's It's hard. I'm telling you, the world is evil. The devil is roaring. It's hard. And then he'd walk through the door and say, hallelujah, everybody. This would be not, I'm saying that is the biggest charade I've ever seen. We are having a whining convention there behind the door. And the moment we, well, thank God, we're not whiners here. We are more than conquerors. It's not so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what? Some laws are passed that we don't like. Yeah, some uh, attacks happen in the media. We don't need them to kind of caress us, you know, and say, oh, you're so good. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are more than overcomers. We believe what Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of haters shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. I, I, I wanted to say a lot on this, but uh, let me hurry here. We forgive because we are forgiven. I thank God for that. You know, when Jesus was teaching on this, Simon Peter uh, came and said, he said, Peter said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, I suppose daily. Jesus said, no, seven times seven. Seventy times seven. That's 490 times. That's not, how, how's that doable? Well, the new covenant tells us how. We forgive because God has already forgiven us. You are totally forgiven. And that's why we forgive. I had lots more to say, but I want to finish with this. When I got thinking about this, about the church, I thought of church, mem mem church member 00001. 
Who was the first member of the church? Actually, it was the same guy, Simon Peter. And they were having a discussion. And Jesus said, well, who, who, what do people think about me? Who am I? He said, well, I think you're like a prophet that came back, maybe Elijah or one of the others. Then he looked at Simon Peter and said, who do you think I am? And Simon Peter said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, Simon, flesh and blood hasn't shown you this. It's not something you learn by intellectual, academic pursuit. But he said, my father in heaven has shown you this. And then I thought of Simon Peter. I mean, this is church member 001 on the computer. He's 0001. What a failure. He denied Jesus three times in a 24-hour time span. Member number one. When he first met Jesus, he was kind of awed. And he said, oh, get away from me. I got too much sin in my life. And Jesus said, fear not. So he had a beautiful start, but then he failed. And he teaches us that God is the God of the second, third, and fourth, and fifth chance. So he, after he fails, and then he fails again, and then, then he kind of, he blows it quite a few times. So he tells me if he's the prototype, if he's the prototype, if he's member number 001, in the church of Jesus Christ. He was the first one who had this revelation. Then it tells me that church is not for people who are perfect in any way in themselves, but it's for people who say, yes, I'm willing, I'm willing. And what I feel the Holy Spirit saying this morning, I haven't done any teaching, just giving you some remarks about how we started our church. I'm grateful for our church. I'm grateful for you. I tell you, there's nothing I enjoy more. Maybe some of you say, my flag wasn't even up there. We'll sign up next time we do it. Because <sighs> I could think about a few nationalities that I saw here whose flag wasn't up there also. So I know some sign up next time. I'm grateful for everyone, your members in particular. I wanted to teach about that. Every member is important. We're members in particular. No one is insignificant. We are a body. You can't cut off a finger and say, oh, you're, you're just a little pinky there. No, no, everyone is important. That's always been my philosophy from the beginning. I remember I had, thank God not now, but in years past I had associates and said, somebody was saying, oh, they're going to leave the church. I said, find out, let's talk to them. I want to talk to them. What, what are they feeling? They said, oh, they're not important anyhow. Oh, they, no, no. I said, I would rebuke my coworkers back in those days. Thank God Nathan has known this all along. I said, don't ever say that somebody is not important. Don't ever say that. Every person, every person, even the one who has a different question every Sunday is very important. So I would be quite stern. I said, don't ever say that. Oh, they're not. A, no, 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 no. Everybody is important. Thank God. You know, Pastor Nathan could have preached this anniversary, but... I'm glad for Nathan and Megan, by the way, and how God raised them up. Praise God. You, we have a succession plan, but I plan to stay around for another quarter of a century or so. So, so you know, don't, don't think that we're leaving here, but I'm saying we have a succession plan. Remember when Nathan started to preach? Some of you, you know, he had so much material. He had like five sermons in one, 
and he spoke it so fast that I was saying, like, what is he saying? And I remember one particular secretary says, no, if he's ever going to be the pastor, I don't know if I can stay here while I met that person this morning. He's still staying. And Nathan, Nathan's been here for nine years. He's been here for nine years. But he had so much, and it was good stuff. And, 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 but thank God, thank God, I think he's, we have one of the greatest pastor teachers anywhere in the world right here in our church. I tell you, so thank God for But I'm saying that's how it started. And, and you know, I just see God's hand in this. And then I see that first church member, Simon Peter. What a loser. What a fearful guy. But all he did was say yes. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, this Sunday morning, I'm standing there at the door knocking on people's hearts. So maybe you're here visiting with us. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you feel like you weren't good enough, or maybe you feel like you're better than others, whatever the case is. Jesus says, found in the book of Revelation, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you'll open up, see, that's, that's the thing. If you'll open up, I'll come and I'll fellowship with you. I'll be with you. Not because you're perfect. Not because you never blew it. I'll be with you because you are the beloved of God. And so let's bow our heads right now. We're going to take the Lord's table in a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for touching people. I felt like really that's what the Lord prompted me, that he's knocking on the doors of people's hearts. If you say, I want to come to Jesus, I want to receive the gift of forgiveness of sin, I want to receive this new life, I want to receive this, I want this, whatever that thing was called, the fellowship of this mystery, to know that Christ lives in me. Maybe you've drifted away like Simon Peter did. Well, he got a chance to come back. So every head is bowed. How many would say, Peter, I want to be included in this prayer. I want to receive this new life that Jesus gives. Would you give me a signal by lifting your hand way up high right now? All those who say, yes, I want to be included in this prayer. I want to receive forgiveness of sin, new life. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over here. How many others? I'm, it's just hard to look every, yes, I see people over there. Anybody else, young person over there? See you, I see you. Let's all stand together right now. Everybody stand up and let's pray this together. Would you say like this with me? Let's say it out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I receive your love. Thank you that you put away my sins and you rose from the dead. And I believe in my heart, you are the son of the living God. Jesus is my Lord. And I turn from my own attempts, from my dead works, and I now receive this gift of life in Christ. Amen. Give the Lord a big praise right now.